As the primary brand of Smithfield Culinary, we take pride in offering a huge array of high-quality pork products. There's really something for everyone, helping you satisfy every crowd, every time. Visit us at smithfieldculinary.com backslash smithfield. Hi, and welcome to Extra Serving, a Nation's Restaurant News podcast. I am your host, Holly Petrie. This week, we're going to be talking about some outliers. During the first half of earnings season, we have an idea of what the industry looks like, and the results are not great. Most companies are seeing positive same-store sales, but in the low digits, low single digits, except for Texas Roadhouse and Wingstop. Two brands on very different ends of the spectrum both saw higher-than-average sales growth, with Wingstop seeing over 20% same-store sales growth, which is crazy town. And Texas Roadhouse, it's expected to surpass Olive Garden and Applebee's very soon. Also, we're going to be talking about the new Focus Brands, which this week rebranded as Go-To Foods. The new name is based on the company's reputation as the go-to choice in the restaurant industry. The company said this is meant to signal a new stage of growth, which is saying something after the brand's past few years. While signing over 1,000 franchisees last year, executives said they're not done growing the portfolio and could have some acquisitions online. Finally, we're going to be talking about the future of technology. Not like that's a big topic or anything. Apple made waves when it introduced the Apple Vision Pro in January, and now some restaurant companies are investing in technology to join in on this trend. Crumble has already worked on a way to allow customers to order via the headsets. Will this investment in the technology fizzle out for restaurants the same way the metaverse did? This week's guest is Liz Matthews, Chief Food Innovation Officer at Taco Bell. And now it's time to introduce my lovely co-hosts. Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I'm Leanne Sinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Gee, Sam, you have so much energy today. Oh, I'm really bringing it. You know, it's really, <laughs> um, it's, it's storming here. Like, it's thunderstorming, Ooh. which is very odd for February. Uh, so it's a very gloomy day. Of course, I am held hostage in my basement still. And so um, these things just combine to make me feel very pessimistic, Holly. Yeah, but you have shelves now. I do have shelves, which need to be decorated. I just have my little drumming guy currently um, hanging out on the shelf, but I, I am awaiting many boxes from Etsy to help me round out my collection. Yeah, but you look less like a hostage now, so that's always a good thing. It's a great point. Hostages don't get shelves. As we no, no, they do not. Or possessions or a budget to shop <laughs> on Etsy, so. <laughs> be kind of funny. They, they, they'd be a cool hostage. <laughs> oh my god okay we've really we've really gone yeah, off the rails <laughs> all right so i kind of want to skip over the first story we'll get to earnings in a second but we were just talking about this on slack with joanna and on our team call about go-to foods um so i kind of want to get into that first because it was kind of big news joanna went to their franchisee convention learned about the new name change but i mean we were talking about this i don't know how i feel about the new name i'm just gonna say it i don't know how i feel about it i don't love it Oh, is that a question? Or okay. That was a, that was a statement. Um, well, Holly, thank you for registering your opinion on that, on that matter. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it is a name. It is, I, I guess the problem with the name may be that it's a little generic. Go-to foods. I mean, okay, what does that mean? Um, but, um, but, you know, what does yum mean? What does, you know, inspire mean? I mean, those are... It's hard to brand a thing. It's hard to come up with a name, um, particularly in this day and age where there are thousands and thousands and thousands, if not millions of brands and various trademarks to deal with. So um, so that's a thing. But if we want to talk about what the idea of go-to foods is, um, I think it is pretty interesting because I think it has 
I think this is a very clear um, signpost of where we are as an industry and what is, we should probably expect for 2024. Let's just start with this. Um, Focus Brands, now GoTo Foods, has been around, I think, since t- 2001. Um, and so it predates many of the uh, groups that exist today, particularly Inspire and Restaurant Brands International. Um uh, by several years, right? So it's been around. It's now the ch- the brands in that portfolio have come and gone, um, but Focus Brands, you know, was one of the I don't know if the original, but you know, an earlier adopter of this model of if we have one group of brands, we can kind of have this shared service model. But I think it probably recognized that it had fallen behind in terms of what to do with that, right? Like, um, and and Jim Holthauser, the CEO. Um, he said at their events to announce the name, which our colleague Joanna Fantosi was attending, and you can see her great content at nrn.com. Um, you know, she reported as you know, he said on stage basically, Focus Brands was a legal name, and they wanted to have a customer-facing name. And I think that's fascinating because clearly that means they've been learning from Yum and from Inspire and from Restaurant Brands International, which is that you know, especially Yum, which predates all of these organizations. Um, you know, Yum is. Uh, is a name that customers know. Customers know Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC belong together, that they're sister brands. Even if they don't know the Yum brand, they know that 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 exists, right? Um, Inspire, I think, is getting to that point, too. I think a lot of people are more familiar now with the fact that Arby's and Jimmy John's and Sonic and Dunkin' all are are kind of, you know, part of a group. Um, It's it's not just a legal name. It is a customer-facing name, again. um, And and so I think what Focus is trying to say is like, okay, well, let's come up with a brand for this group of concepts that um, when people think Cinnabon, they also think Auntie Anne's or they also think McAllister's. They recognize that this is a group um, that has been specifically curated for a reason. And then if I'm a fan of Cinnabon, I'll maybe be a fan of, you know, Jamba. Um, and, you know, so, so that's one thing that they wanted to do. But in addition, I think they probably recognize the incredible opportunity for um, these brands under one portfolio, under one portfolio, to not just shared services, but truly to leverage efficiencies on the back end with technology today. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. Um, but you know, the the idea that if you have all brands in one portfolio using one tech stack, using you know a certain vendor. Um, that there's a lot of efficiencies there, but also then, of course, with technology, there's a lot of data that you can collect. So anyway, all to say, it, clearly um, the team at Focus Now Go To Foods recognized that there's a lot more you can do with that, this model of a group of brands than they probably were doing before. And now they're sort of resetting and saying, okay, let's do that. I have a lot of more thoughts on, on what this means for the future, but Leanne, you can share your thoughts on this first. Hey, thanks. Um, Yeah, I mean, you said thoughts on the future. And another thing they talked about a lot this week is growth. Uh, And with a company like this, with as many brands as they own, there are a lot of different ways to grow a company like this. And I think they're setting themselves up really well to grow in a lot of different ways. A lot of the brands that they own are hyper regional. You know, you won't find a Seattle's best coffee in the same town as a Carvel ice cream, like, or even in the same region. So they have a lot of opportunity here to grow their brands nationally. They've talked about moving, wanting to move each brand into two or three new states every year, which is a great, like, steady pace goal. And then maybe taking some of them internationally if they're not already. And having things like shared services set up 
on the back end is such a big assist for that. Um, and, you know, if somebody from the Northeast region can talk to somebody from the Southwest region and get their insight on the market and things like that, like this is going to make it a lot easier for these brands to grow. But then GoTo Foods is also talking about growing through acquisitions. Um, they've, they're talking about double or tripling their portfolio even in the next however many years. And uh, something that I thought was interesting is that they're not just looking at snack and sandwich brands, which is kind of what they're known for right now. If you want a snack, if you want a quick bite, a sandwich, um, a coffee and ice cream, then yeah, these brands are kind of the go-tos for a lot of consumers. But now they're saying, we're good on those. You know, we're going to grow the ones that we have, but we don't need another. I think he said specifically, we don't need another pretzel brand. For example, they've got Auntie Anne's. Uh, So they're looking at segments like chicken, like pizza, uh, burgers, and looking for companies that they can acquire, add to their portfolio, and expand in that way as well. So I think it's an exciting, it's an exciting future ahead for go-to foods. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I was thinking about for the future in terms of, um, growth, not only for go-to foods, clearly, as you mentioned, Leanne, you know, they, they very obviously they stated their intentions. We're going to grow through acquisition, but I, I just think like, I think there's going to be, and we might've touched on this a little bit last week. I think there's going to be an arms race, um, in 2024 and beyond that, you know, as, Inflation cools down as interest rates go down. Um, you know, in, investors will come off the sidelines. Um, capital will become more affordable. You know, it, it, the, the financial markets are going to open up, um, and that's going to lead to um, just a lot of growth in general. That you know, investors will invest in brands. That um, franchisees will probably more franchisees will will join uh, the industry um, because wow, you got really loud horns by Holly at your new place. <laughs> that horn just really wanted to weigh in. I thought the thunderstorms, I keep looking up here because I got, you know, thunderstorms coming out the window. Anyway, um, but it, it's, it's going to lead to a general surge in growth because, again, you can, um, it, it's it's a lot more affordable to borrow, um, to borrow money. And, um, but I, what that means is that you're going to see, I think, more of these groups acquiring brands because, again, the shared service model of these portfolios is makes so much sense in 2024 when data is powering everything, when technology is powering everything, um, that it makes so much sense to consolidate all of these um, operations and technology under one group across multiple brands. And and with the financial markets opening up, um, it's going to make a lot more sense for a go-to, for Inspire, for Yum, for smaller portfolios to go on a um, – a, a, a binge to go, you know, on a spending spree on some concepts out there that uh, are exciting and growing and profitable so that they can bring them into their portfolio and, um, and leverage their operations um, with that group. And, you know, we've already seen a lot of this kind of activity in the early months of 2024. So I just, I don't know. I think this is, again, like I said at the beginning, it's like the signpost of, you know, what 2024 is going to look like, like, there's going to be a lot of activity and what go to foods is essentially coming out and saying is, Hey, we want to be a big player in this. We're one of the original groups that was doing this. And, you know, we're rebranding, refreshing with our intention of, you know, um, moving forward, um, with this model and additional brands as part of it. 
I actually think GoToFoods is going to be successful in a way that other companies that have said that they're looking for acquisitions may not be because GoToFoods specifically has, like Liam was saying, these hyper-regional, smaller chains. And I think those are what's going to be more up for sale this year. I mean, but was it Yum or Inspired? One of them said that they were already planning on an acquisition for this year, like sometime last year. I think it was Yum. Um, that they were already like, they were like, we're going to have an acquisition in the next two years. We're already planning on it. And that would obviously be a big brand. Whatever yeah. one of those companies acquires is going to be huge. There's no question it's going to be a giant deal. Um, but we've already seen, you know, the rumors that Inspire could go public, the rumors that, well, not rumors, Panera is going public at some point. Could be now, could be in five years. We don't know. Uh, but, you know, we're already seeing a lot of this financial talk. Flynn is talking about majority stake being up for sale. I mean, we had Subway last year, but this year we're February 22nd is already skyrocketing in terms of financial uh, rumors and things coming true. But I think go to like, how do they make their brands all feel like one, the way that we see Yum and Inspire creating this portfolio? How, like, how do they craft that? I think it's hard because they're so regional, but also they talked about bringing Annie Ann's last year out of the mall. And that was probably a big part of this moving. Like, I'm sure that was their first step in saying, we want to expand. We want to do this. So let's pull our brands out of the mall. Let's start getting them in more locations. Let's start trying to spread them out into brick and mortar out. Like, so they have feet to stand on and then we could start growing. And I think that that was kind of the first step in what this move is doing now. But like, I don't know. I'm very interested to see how they can make these brands come together. Like, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how it's going to work because I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm also not an executive at GoToFoods. So. No? Are you not? Surprisingly not. <laughs> um, I mean, there are a lot of ways to make that happen. One thing that the company is already doing is they've moved to like a one gift card system. So if you get a gift card to Cinnabon, you can use it at Jamba. Um, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is a step toward, you know, putting it in the consumer's mind that these are the same company. Um, I think there's a lot of potential here for um, not even necessarily menu collaborations, but like, you know, serving Cinnabon at, actually, this is something they actually do in my hometown is they serve Cinnabon at Schlatsky's, you know, so you got to get a sandwich, you get a dessert. Um, Maybe they add the equipment to make Jamba smoothies into, like, a Seattle's Best Coffee. You know, like, some of these, the thing about, like, having the focus right now on snacks is that a lot of them go together really well. So I think co-branding is the word I was looking for. Um, Co-branding or even just moving one brand's products into another brand without the full co-branding like hoopla uh i feel like there is a lot of uh i feel like there's a lot of potential there and i think that they're like right on the cusp of like starting to do some of those things um i think it would be very exciting i mean i love you know going i mean we do it all the time in my hometown like go to shosky's and then grab a cinnabon on your way out like there's dessert uh so there's a lot of potential here i think for that kind of thing Cinnabon's, I mean, already a leader. I mean, Cinnabon just partnered with Subway. Cinnabon has been available at Burger King. You know, Wendy's. They, um, and Wendy. I mean, I think yeah. they've, I, yeah, all of them, right? So, 
um, they have a lot of experience with that. And so, yeah, the snack category, there's a lot of implications. But, they, you know, they've done that already. They didn't need to rebrand as go-to foods to do that. But I would, I would, I would guess that as they look for acquisitions, that that will make more and more sense. That if they acquire a burger brand, they're going to look into how can this burger brand also sell pretzels and Cinnabons. Um, so, I mean, at least that's what I would do. I think the most interesting thing to watch for all of these groups is if you develop a loyalty app that works at all of them. So if there was a go-to foods loyalty app and you can accrue points at McAllister's and spend them at Schlotsky's or accrue points at, you know, Cinnabon and spend them at Auntie Anne's, that's the most interesting thing. I think you've seen some of that activity at um, smaller restaurant groups like hospitality groups with independent – made up of independent restaurants. Um, they have they have caught on to that. And, of course, at that scale it makes a lot of sense because if you have 25 restaurants across – eight concepts in a portfolio that's specifically in the Midwest or something, right? Like, um, you know, there, there's a, a more direct relationship with the customer. Uh, you know, I always, I'm sure the example here in Columbus, we have Cameron Mitchell and, you know, everybody knows a restaurant is a Cameron Mitchell restaurant. And so, you know, if you, if you tie those together and say, you know, if I, you know, um, spend a lot of money at this restaurant, it's going to benefit me through a loyalty program at this other restaurant in that portfolio. And I know that they are in that portfolio, right? Um, that's, if you can blow that out to a yum inspire or go to food size, like I, I, I think that would be fascinating. Um, now there's a whole lot of nuance to that. And of course they have so many franchisees to deal with and, I don't know. There's a there's a lot to figure out. But again, I think the technology and data components of these groups is the most important right now because those are really driving the bus. Um, and if you can figure out a way to really tie those together in with with the data across a loyalty program, um, that's when you really get customers excited about the power of the of the collective group. What a good segue from excitement from one thing to excitement for another thing, which is brands that are doing great. People are excited about wings and steak, apparently, which we already kind of knew. But Texas Roadhouse is continuing to sell, sell, sell. Um, People are loving them. We did America's Favorite Chains. Texas Roadhouse is obviously in there. Um, But they also... As Alicia Kelso told us, they're set to overtake Applebee's and Olive Garden sooner than later, with like within the next five years, which is crazy because they're so much younger than them and so much smaller, but that's wild. And then we have Wingstop, which saw 20% same-store sales growth, which is absolutely wild. Um, and they're launching their new proprietary tech stack. And I mean, it's just, there's so much to talk about with these two brands. They're totally opposite, um, but... I don't know. What do you guys think about where these go? I guess you could take either brand and kind of go with it. Yeah, to me, these are interesting case studies to look at side by side because Texas Roadhouse is very much riding momentum that it's been building for years. Every quarter we sit here and we talk about how wild it is that Texas Roadhouse is doing so well, which is amazing. Uh, But it's a conversation we have every quarter and I don't necessarily know that they did anything different this last quarter. They're just like... They figured out what works. They're still leaning into off-premises dining, which is doing wonders for them, smaller prototypes, and they are just like riding this wave. Now, Wingstop, on the other hand, had a similar momentum going four years ago um, for a couple years there. And Wingstop has continued to do well over the years, but these numbers from last quarter are like mind-blowing. 
Um, you know, our colleague Ron, who covers them, said in Slack, like, oh, Wingstop same store sales are up more than 20%. And somebody said, what is it, 2020? Um, so, and I think Wingstop is well positioned right now because, as you mentioned, they're <clears throat> about to launch their proprietary tech stack. Uh, I believe it's going fully live in April, which means they will own all of their data, first party customer data, uh, which is huge for a restaurant company. So, um, this is a really good like time for Wingstop to be doing really well. Um, I just want to share a funny anecdote that I read randomly in the Detroit Free Press, <clears throat> which is Detroit's local newspaper, about um, Wingstop is a sponsor of the Detroit Pistons, and they have this promotion where if the Pistons win, you can get, I think, five free wings with any Wingstop order. Sam's laughing. I think he knows where this is going. Um, you get five free wings with a Wingstop order in Detroit if the Pistons win. Um, and the Pistons, somewhat famously, at the end of last year, this will be new information for Holly, lost 28 games in a row. I think it was like two straight months of no wins. Uh, and then on December 30th, they won a game. And Wingstop sales that night, like, skyrocketed <laughs> and that's like one of the last days of the quarter and i'm not saying not one night alone in detroit like saved wing stops quarter uh but it's a funny story and that's the kind of like marketing story that's really good for a brand because as the losing streak kept going wing stop would get on twitter and be like come on pistons people want free wings uh, and then suddenly they won and i i just thought that was a funny story and that's the kind of you know marketing story that you can't like fully facilitate uh <clears throat> but just the fact that like everyone in Detroit was talking about Wingstop there for a couple days uh I don't know that story made me smile yeah it's kind of what a smart marketing um platform now they probably didn't know the Pistons would be that bad but yeah if you want to like not have to give away free product but still ride some coattails find a professional team that's terrible um yeah I mean look uh Wingstop let's start with them it's amazing that in 2024, we're talking about them like it's 2020. I mean, um, CEO Michael Skipworth said this was like the best year for Wingstop ever. And that blew my mind because of the numbers they were doing in 2020 and 2021. I mean, they were, they were, they quote unquote won the pandemic. Remember we used to talk about the winners of the pandemic and it was Wingstop and Popeyes and, um, and then the pizza brands and Wingstop was, was killing it. So to think that in 2023, in a very decidedly post-pandemic year, that they still did that. Um, you know, they uh, are have achieved 67%, I believe, um, digital. The 67% of orders are digital now, and they want it. They want to get that number to 100%. And and to me, that number is um, it, that work is so indicative of why they have been so successful. Um, you know, I remember in 2019 and 2020, I think were, were the years when they made this goal of 20 or of a hundred percent digital orders. And I remember thinking like, what the heck? Like you can't, it's not possible. Like there's going to still be people who want to call in. Well, you know, when you call in, they still have a digital system for processing that order. So they still count that. And at the time I remember um, speaking with then CTO Stacy Peterson and it was, you know, they were around like 40% digital orders. Um, and I say all this to say, like, you know, so to, that number is slowly growing, right? So they're at 67% now. Surely within a few years, they're probably going to get to that 100% number. 
Um, but I just think that's such a great way, a, a great way to look at the success of Wingstop is that the more they really invest in their digital efforts, they're developing this proprietary tech stack that's going to roll out here soon. Um, the more success they have, I just think they've tapped into this vein with customers of for digital ordering that um, that they're just <laughs> that they can just keep running with, uh, and it does very well for them. Now with Texas Roadhouse. I, I, this is like a Chick-fil-A story to me. I'll never forget – it's probably been 10 years now, but I'll never forget when Chick-fil-A surpassed KFC um, in sales. And it was such a big deal because Chick-fil-A has a fraction of the restaurants as KFC. So, Holly, you were saying at the outset of this that we you know, can expect Texas Roadhouse to surpass um, Applebee's and Olive Garden, yet it is much smaller um, you know, it's because of their remarkable AUVs, right? I think they're doing somewhere around $8 million, um, per restaurant, which um, – coincidentally is what Chick-fil-A is doing as well. Um, but, you know, when you think of, of a Chick-fil-A or a Texas Roadhouse, it is this very intense brand affinity, this very strong relationship with a customer that I think is really hard to break. I mean, um, when you build a relationship with your customer, um, you, you just lean into that and you trust that your customer's will reward you with their with their service. And and there's no bells and whistles to it, I think, is the other thing, right? Like Chick-fil-A and Texas Roadhouse, they innovate. They do, you know, they go in this um, this new prototype with Texas Roadhouse, their digital kitchen. Like they're doing things, but it's not so much customer-facing. It's not a lot of whiz-bang, like look at us go, look at this LTO, look at this here. Um, it's really just, hey, we're going to do what we do, and we're going to do it really, really well. I mean, Texas Roadhouse, for crying out loud, won't do delivery. And yet their off-premises business is still growing, um, you know, so they're not like – they're not having to do some of these other kind of marketing campaigns that other brands have to do to get people in the restaurants because they just have such a solid base of customers who rely on them um, regularly, and and that that is enough. So um, just really, I guess, not letting the customer down and doing what they do very well has led to this kind of business. It's hard to recreate that because that's something you build over time. Chick-fil-A and Texas Roadhouse have built these relationships over decades. and um, But I think still worthwhile for other operators to learn, like – you know, you don't have to do some fancy marketing campaign to get customers in the door. You just have to do your thing very well over and over and over and over. Well, and Texas Roadhouse said that they're growing their Jaggers concept slowly, but they're still growing it, which is, according to Alicia, the best chicken she's ever had. So uh, I think that that could be a really great concept for them. It's a fast casual, you know, they, I think it could be a great concept for them to grow. Um, but Wingstop, those digital sales are some of the highest, if not the highest in the industry. 67% is well above average in the restaurant industry in terms of digital sales. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, I went to Wingstop once and I did not order digitally, but it was also late at night and it was two minutes before they closed. So I couldn't order digitally. Um, I tried, uh, but I think that like wings are just so popular. Like I, Everybody loves wings, no matter what. And Wingstop is the biggest wing company that is everywhere. Do you not like yeah, wings, Sam? No, I do. I do. <laughs> well, and I was going to yes and what you were saying, um, <laughs> which is – so I had an interesting conversation um, recently. I won't say who it was with just because of um, what this conversation was about. But 
um, I think it, it, it is relevant here, and I will try not to go on too much of a tangent. But this person um, participates in a category where uh, they felt quality was very important. And yet they have a competitor that is growing very quickly, and this leader believes that the quality of the product at that competitor is pretty bad. Um, now, I have not had the food of that competitor, so I could not validate that opinion. But it got us into talking about how once upon a time, quality of food was such a main calling card. And don't get me wrong. It's still important to have good food, right? But where we, what we were talking about in this conversation was how much more important convenience has become that part of the value equation, um, the, an increasingly large part of the value equation for customers is convenience and accessibility. And, um, and this person and I were also talking about the fact that he felt his food at his restaurant was not, um, or that it was too cheap. He thought he could increase prices. And we, and so that led us into talking about, you know, the fact that even the, the prices customers pay, the expectations have changed because for so many of the people who are ordering via third-party marketplaces in particular, you know, if you order $15 worth of food, you're growing more and more accustomed to spending $22, $23 total because of the fees and delivery and all of that stuff. So I guess where I'm bringing this around to is um, I'm not calling into question the quality of anybody's food here, but mostly just to say the brands that continue to really thrive, it's, it's not because they've got the best food. It's because they are more accessible and more um, convenient and perhaps more reliable than some of their competitors. And that might mean something more to a lot of people today uh, than the, I like their food better. I, I don't know. Maybe that resonates with you guys too, but like how often are you thinking uh, – well, I'll just say I'll, – I'll, I'll use an anecdote from my personal life. On Valentine's Day – uh, my wife Katie and I put the kids down and we're like, let's get a nice meal to um, pick up and have at home after the kids are down. Because so many of our meals, as you can imagine today, are we just chaos, right? Um, so we uh, looked for some restaurants via – I was looking on my phone for restaurants. And I passed over three restaurants that looked good because I couldn't order from my phone. <laughs> and look, I'm lazy. I get it. But, you know, it's 8 o'clock. Kids are down. We're starving at this point, right? And I and I don't want to talk to a human being, and frankly, I don't want to get off my couch. And like this is a very real um, experience, I think, for more and more of us, which is, you know, I'm going to look for the restaurant that has mobile ordering, and I honestly don't care what I'm going to spend for it because just the mood I'm in right now requires that this is delivered and that it's done very easily from my phone, and I don't have to get my wallet because I can do Apple Pay, right? Like. So this did become a tangent, and I apologize for that. But I think the point I'm trying to make here is that Wingstop and its digital ordering, the success it's had with digital ordering is just total proof of this. And again, it's not calling into question Wingstop's quality. I just don't think Wingstop is always out here saying, we've got the best wings. We've got the best wings. They're out here saying, we are so easy to get. And, you know, like you have to press like three buttons on your phone, and you're going to have wings at your doorstep in the next half hour. And that's enough. That that resonates with more customers today, right? Like, so I just I find all of this very fascinating because I just feel like, again, I just don't think quality is is driving the bus as much as it used to. 
And I will say, if you want to hear Sam tell that Valentine's story again, you can listen to his episode of Takeaway for this week, um, which comes out on Thursday. (laughs) Oh, Holly, you're listening to what I'm saying. Which comes out on Thursday. This comes out on Friday. But if you want to hear it again, um, he talks about it on his Chop 5 podcast um, on Takeaway. So please listen to that if you want to hear the Valentine's Day story where he can't find food again. Um, Because I've heard it twice within 24 hours. Clearly, the story is coming up a lot in my conversation. Is that the best way to promote a podcast? If you want to hear this exact same story another time. You're right. It's not. Um, I had just heard that, like, you word for word, almost the exact same. Like, it was it was pretty word for word, Sam. Well, I'm, it's an important anecdote. And look, I'm not trying to project my life over everybody, but as a as an older millennial, I, you know, I, I, with young children, I, 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 you know, I live in the suburbs. I'm probably squarely in the demographic of a lot of restaurants. Um, I, and I and I'm probably not abnormal in this, right? No, I think you I think you really have a point. Um, and something else that Wingstop has going for it is that wings are a food that people tend to get and share with friends, you know, you order wings for the Super Bowl party or like even just on a regular football Sunday. Uh, And so to pull anecdotes from my life, since that's what we're doing today, uh, you know, and please pardon the accidental pun here, but I have my go-to places for every cuisine that I could possibly want. If I want sushi, there is one sushi place that I order from because I ordered them from them once and it was fantastic. And so like, why would I mess with a good thing? And to Sam's point, you know, I can order them on my phone and they're always, it's always delivered quickly. Uh, but same thing for tacos, same thing for Thai food. Um, and Wingstop just is that place for most people who order wings. And so what they, you know, their biggest goal should be to bring in new consumers and become their go-to place for wings, which is what happens when you, you know, serve wings at a party and someone says, these are really good. Oh, they're from Wingstop. Well, now that person is going to think of Wingstop the next time they want wings and it just becomes their default order. Uh, so that's definitely, I think, a huge part of it. And then that's another place where having their proprietary tech stack is going to be a huge advantage for them. Uh, so it really all ties together. Well, so it's funny. I There's a plane going overhead, so excuse that. Um, but I, <laughs> I um, have gotten my 93-year-old grandmother into Wingstop because there's one right near her. She can call it up and she loves wings. And I got her to start using Wingstop and she's obsessed with it. So it really is great for all ages. Wingstop is appeals to everyone. Leanne made a face, but wings are for everyone. Babies, adults, vegetarians. (laughs) When I was a vegetarian, all I wanted were wings. And the second I stopped being vegetarian, I chowed down on Wanting wings, wings does not make wings stop money. <laughs> Just for the record. But yes, most people who eat meat like wings. Probably yeah. not babies. I mean, yeah, and I can't even imagine what Wingstop numbers are going to be like post Super Bowl. Like this was even I ate wings. Well, the week before the, whatever the finals were, the semifinals I ate wings then and I don't even know what's happening in football but I was like it's a wing day and so you know even if you don't watch football it's a wing Sunday and I think that their numbers after the Super Bowl are just going to be insane and I kind of can't wait to see what their next quarter holds um, because there wasn't even like any big holiday over 
like the last quarter. It wasn't like there was like a big wing day, you know, like Super Bowl is a big wing day. Like September to December, August to December, what big wing day is there, you know? Just like a regular Saturday? I thought you were just saying there were no holidays in Q4 and I was going <laughs> to walk away. <laughs> Holiday, you know football season happens that quarter. Um, the regular season, but anyway, let's move you on. You didn't know there was a regular season, but yes, we're let's move on. We're getting off track, yeah. All right, so let's talk about Apple Vision Pro, which, um, I don't know, do you guys have one? <laughs> yeah, what he said. I only got my watch last summer. Uh, like, I'm a late adopter on Apple products. All right, so... I've, even, I've abandoned my watch. I used to have an Apple watch, and then I stopped wearing it one day because I didn't like the band, and then I realized, I think I like, I like my life better without that thing. Oh, my God. Oh, so I that's why you didn't answer my text yesterday in the middle of the podcast. I thought you had your watch on to see it. That's a different story. <laughs> All right, so uh, the Apple Vision Pro came out January 5th. Um, it... Does things that I'm not really sure. Um, I don't really understand the whole like virtual reality. Um, kind of freaks me out. Um, makes me dizzy just thinking about it. But there are some ways that restaurant companies can kind of get involved in this new world. I guess it's kind of a world, a reality. Um, and so Crumble is investing in it. They are. They've created a way to order food in the Vision Pro. Um, again, don't really understand the technology. Um, I am a journalist, not a tech anything. Um, but uh, I think it's really interesting because we talked about the metaverse so much. Like, we talked about the metaverse to death. Companies were buying rights to their name. People were invested. Like, Chick-fil-A created a whole, like, Mooverse, I think they called it. But, like, the companies went all in on the metaverse, and it turned out to be absolutely nothing. Um, and so I wonder what the investment is going to be from restaurants in the Apple Vision Pro because there's a different precedent that Apple sets when a product comes out. Like the metaverse, yeah, was exciting, but like this is a tangible product and it's being sold and a lot of people have it. And so is that going to make restaurants move towards it quicker than than they would normally? What do you guys think? Uh, I'm skeptical of headsets in general mostly because i mean i don't know if you guys remember google glass of gosh i mean 12 13 years ago i maybe it was way ahead of its time but it was you know really dorky and dumb and people don't want to in general it, it was uh, a bomb right and so we just don't even talk about it very much anymore now that's not to say um that these virtual reality and augmented reality headsets aren't the future um and and that's what the vision pro really is is um, I, I believe you – I think you can do both. I'm not totally up on it. I think you can do both virtual reality and it, this sort of mixed reality, as they say, that um, you know it, it augments what is around you. Um, uh, you know, look, I would never bet against Apple. They have a track record of creating products that change how we behave as a society. And there is a lot of belief, I think, in the tech community that this Vision Pro is going to be that thing that legitimizes and normalizes these headsets. Now, I still think they're extraordinarily dorky and dumb. Um, and, and if you look at people wearing them, um, and so you'll have to, we'll have to get to a point where they are less so for mass adoption. However, it is important that restaurants th start thinking about this stuff because 
I mean, if Apple's getting in this game, they have reason to believe that it will be a mainstream thing in the future, and they have reason to believe that they are the company that can give it that zhuzh that gets it across the line. I mean, of course, Oculus has been around for many years. They make these um, virtual reality headsets, and they're still fairly niche. Um, so, um, but Apple, again, uh, they, they might really get us to a point where more people are using these, particularly for that mixed reality, virtual reality. I mean, that's video games and that is more the metaverse, right? That you're talking about, Holly, we were really hot on the metaverse stuff last year. Cause we thought, oh, this is, this makes a ton of sense. It make you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, you know, cryptocurrency was really underlining the whole thing and we all thought what could go wrong here. But as we saw, it was just a, a bubble that popped, at least with cryptocurrency, and, and the metaverse itself seemed to just sort of crumble alongside it. Was the metaverse um, really just last year? Uh, maybe that was two years ago. I, it, things change really quickly, and I think that's also uh, you know something to point out with all of this, which is these trends come and go really quickly these days. And so to say something is definitively the future is, um, I think, not a smart move anymore because it's really hard to say. Um, but again, it, restaurants need to understand what's at stake with um, this augmented reality technology in particular because there are – I mean it's like when the first iPhones were coming out, the first smartphones, you know, it was, oh, what could we possibly do with this thing, right? And of course, we just got done talking about the importance of digital ordering that would never have been possible without smartphones. And so – 10 to 15 years from now, we could be talking about a whole other experience for ordering that was only made possible by these mixed reality headsets. Um, I, again, I'm more cautious just because it's definitely there's a sort of fashion situation that we have to overcome. You can't slide these things in your pocket. Um, but um, so Crumble, as you point out, Holly, is one of the companies, I mean, to, to my knowledge, the only company so far that's started to play with it. Um, I, I think... If I were a restaurant brand, I would um, choose not to be on the bleeding edge, but perhaps be on the leading edge in that I don't want to be the first adopter of this technology because you're going to do it wrong and nobody's going to use it and we'll probably make fun of it. But someday you can also claim credit for, hey, we were doing this when nobody else was, right? So personally, I would wait a year or two, see how this shakes out. Um, but it's important that restaurants start to look into this and explore it and see what the implications are because it could be, again, 5, 10, 15 years from now, this is the game, and if you're behind the curve, I mean, think about any brands today that don't have digital ordering. It just got done telling a story how, of how I will not eat at your, you know, restaurant. Um, it's important that you're that you understand at least where this is going. Here are my thoughts. I know you're just dying to hear them. Uh, Apple has made a habit of taking like some technology trends that people are skeptical of and turning them into the thing that everybody needs to have. The first cell phone with internet came out in 2001 and most people kind of said, why do I need the internet on my cell phone? I have a computer. Uh, and then in 2007, Apple said, here's an iPhone. And everybody said, ooh, gimme. Um, maybe not that first day, uh, but certainly by the time I got an iPhone in 2012, I felt like the last person on the planet. So in the course of like five years, it became the go-to. Smartwatches, um, <clears throat> you know, Garmin's been making them forever and it was only runners who were using them. That was what they were for. And then Apple said, here's a smartwatch and same thing. You know, everybody said, ooh, I want one. And then five years later, I got one and... Here we are. And so, yes, virtual reality headsets have existed for some years now, and they were kind of the, 
like Sam said, a little nerdy, a little clunky. Um, not a lot of people had them, but I think if anyone is going to like make them a thing, it's going to be Apple. Um, and so I actually do think it would be smart for restaurant companies to get in on the ground floor. When the metaverse, we thought it was the next big thing, a lot of the big companies did get in there. Wendy's uh, is the first example I'm thinking of, uh, but a lot of those big restaurant companies were in it, and I'm a little worried that maybe they will be gun-shy with this new virtual reality thing because of the way the metaverse just kind of flopped. Like, they invested, I can only imagine how much, into those metaverse worlds, and they were really cool, but the trend just didn't stick. Uh, but I just have a feeling that this one will. Uh, so I'm intrigued by Crumble being the first adopter because it's not one of, I mean, certainly Crumble is a giant company at this point, but it's not one of the really, really, really big ones that I would normally expect to see jumping on something like this. And I'm eager to see how it goes for Crumble and then when the really big players do start getting into it. Because I think, I do think this has a lot more potential than the metaverse did. And I also do not plan on acquiring one myself in the near future. <laughs> I don't know. Based on your timeline, if you're five years behind five everything, years. you'll be getting one in five years. Five I could years, see it. But I don't know if I would call five years the near future. I'm not like running out to buy <laughs> one this year. Um, but I, yes, I have no doubt that it, it could very well be in my mid future. <laughs> I think Crumble's an interesting example of the first one to jump into this. Like you would think someone like a Wingstop or a Starbucks that are known for their technology would kind of go to this first or a Wendy's. Like I think Crumble is an interesting first option that that was that was the company that jumped into this. I mean, I don't know. By the time that this goes live, you will be able to read an article by Joanna Fantosi. She's interviewing Crumble about um, this. So she'll know more than we do. Uh, but like, you know, I think that's interesting that they were the first ones to, I don't know, they're not the ones I associate with kind of leading the charge. Uh, Jason McGowan, the founder, is was a tech entrepreneur before Crumble. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that he's probably just got tech in his blood and, and that made sense to, to try this out. I, yeah, I think we're going to hear from a lot more restaurants that are giving this a shot. Because, again, I mean, it just, Apple's going to legitimize the trend. There's a lot of companies that want to be seen as first mover in something, and um, this is low-hanging fruit as far as let's be a first mover in a thing. Um, and, and great for them, and I'd, I'd love to see them validate uh, using headsets for ordering. But yeah, um, probably a few years out from this becoming mainstream. I imagine these headsets, uh, clearly I haven't worn one, um, but I imagine these headsets are kind of like the glasses and um, spy movies where like you can see like boxes and like people popping up on the sides and it's like giving you their profiles. That's like what I, Google Glass was all about. I think right. That's what they wanted to be. Right. And I picture it like those spy glasses. Like that's really cool. If they make them thinner and like less clunky, like that could be a really cool thing. It, it, yeah. I mean, it could be. It's. I, but I remember we when we had this conversation around Google Glass, the question was – What's stopping you from, you know, like if you've got constant activity in front of your eyes, you're going to run into things while you're walking on the sidewalk. You could get into a car wreck. I mean, you know, there's so much that you have to consider that like the distraction. I don't know. Like I just said, like I got rid of my watch. I didn't want my wrist telling me I had a text message. Now, I can't imagine if I'm sitting there and all every note, I get annoyed by the notifications that pop up in my screen while we're talking on this podcast, right? Like I generally turn those off. 
Um, I'm not, you know, again, probably a great case study in this stuff. But I guess the point is to say, you know, yes, there is real world application, but people will have to accept that the this technology is way more immersing yourself into distractions and busyness and I, 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 we have to figure out what that looks like, but um, but restaurants are, are a great example of how this could be useful from a commerce perspective. Like you think about self-driving cars, which I think are also in the vein of this technology. Like you could program into your glasses, I want to go to Wingstop, and then your car could drive you there and you can just sit and hang out and then arrive at Wingstop and your order's already ready because you've ordered it on your glasses. Like that could be the future. That's really cool. Um, so Sam, you won't have to do anything. You could throw the kids in the car and you just say what you want to your glasses and everything just moves for you. Isn't that the dream? That's a dream, but self-driving cars, that's a podcast of another day. Cause they're, <laughs> having, they're having their own thing. We'll figure that out another day. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to throw it over to Alicia who interviewed Liz Matthews, the chief food innovation officer of Taco Bell. And they have a lot to talk about because as we talked about last week, Taco Bell just unleashed a new menu to the masses. Um, so also check out our Instagram and TikTok where uh, we show you all of the new food items um, in really fun little videos. Uh, so they're called unboxings. Uh, so look at the NRN unboxing tag on either TikTok or Instagram. Um, and I'm going to turn over to Alicia, but I'm going to thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Holly. As the primary brand of Smithfield Culinary, we take pride in offering a huge array of high-quality pork products. There's really something for everyone, helping you satisfy every crowd, every time. Visit us at smithfieldculinary.com backslash smithfield. station started with a, a proper compliment of the shoes. Oh, I mean, look at those, those are, right? Those are fire. I, we saw those on the stage. How's she doing that? Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's get, because I know I only have 10 minutes and Jeff is going to take the hook and pull me off. <laughs> but, you know, Yum's earnings call was earlier this week. David Gibbs came out and said you're going to double the menu introductions this year from last year. What What's the, what's the objective here? Because it's not like you guys are stagnant ever. <laughs> so tell me what the, you know, impetus is behind really pushing the gas and now. Is it, it you know... Yeah. What your fans are asking for? Are we fully out of the, you know the pandemic? And tell me yeah. what the objective I mean, is. I mean, we are fully out yeah, of the yeah. pandemic, yeah. so that's nice. Um, listen, I think uh, we spent a lot of time with the fans, and we're listening, and they want more from us, right? Um, they want more reasons to visit Taco Bell. They want more chicken. They want more afternoon treats. They want. I mean, so again, it really is listening to them, and then figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this all happen, and and what exactly. You know, they do want. And so, so that's Cantina came out of that. Sure. For sure. Okay. For sure. Um, and then beverages, you know, we hear a lot like, why don't you guys have shakes? Why don't you do this? And those shakes are great, by the way. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad. So this is a fan mandate. This is, is it generational? Are you talking about younger fans having this sort of mandate to do more? No, you know what, we, it's actually, you would think, but it's it's actually, well, Taco Bell, so we pretty much skew to everybody, right, because yeah. everybody loves Taco Bell, so no, I wouldn't say it's all younger, we're definitely, I mean, when you think about chicken, though, that definitely yeah. skews younger, I mean, the generation is wanting more chicken, um, but no, I, it's, it's not really, okay, not really, okay, um, I mean, the, well, yeah, I mean, 
Consumption on, I mean, consumption on chicken is like this. Sure. For everybody, for yeah. every age bracket. And so that is that is causing you to rethink your approach to chicken. What's about chicken nuggets here, which is not what somebody thinks about traditionally when it comes to Taco Bell. And in fact, your sister Chain just jumped into nuggets too. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you win in a space like that when it's not something? Some, that something people think of as your core competency. Yeah, no, and we're definitely not first to the game, right? Um, so, again, we're hearing a lot from consumers like, hey, I would love it if you guys did a chicken nugget, but I would love it if you did it in the Taco Bell way. So that's kind of the key here. So if we were just to put out any nugget and any sauce, it's not going to work for us. But what they're looking for is that innovation. So that's what we're working on, trying to get that. It's got to be both. Like, that combination has to be right. So it's going to be about the nugget and how is that differentiated. And I think even more importantly, it's going to be like, how do we differentiate the experience of dipping and the sauce? So I think that space is going to be really important. So we're thinking a lot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. Because speaking of your sister brand, I talked to the chief marketing officer. I was on a on-campus immersion with KFC. Okay. And generationally speaking, again, going back to the Gen Z, the, yeah. you know, as they increase their discretionary income, and they obviously have made it very clear they want to spend that at restaurants. They yeah. want to dip, drench, cover everything. Smother. Yes. <laughs> is that how is that applicable to, to Taco Bell? Because you guys have always been a sauce yeah. kind of company. Yeah. It seems like you are a leader here, and again pushing the gas with this with a new sauce, uh, which is very good. Also. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so I'm glad. how do you continue to stay at the forefront of that when? This new, this new generation is coming through saying, hey, we want more of this. Yeah, yeah. How well, important does sauce come? Sauce is important. It's uh-huh. like in our history, it's sure. been very important, and it's important in our future. And I think people want experiences through those sauces, maybe not your traditional sauces, something new, something unexpected. Um, I don't know. I would love to see a world where we do something with sauce that people are like, holy smokes, I've never had sauce like that or eaten sauce like that. Um, so it's going to be about the experience. Okay. And to do that, it seems like you're doing, obviously, more co-creation. Yep. And, you know, tell me the impetus behind these. You know, we did Truff, we, you did Truff last year, <laughs> Truff last year. Yeah. Uh, Yellowbird. Yeah. Um, you know, it seemed like you had some tremendous success here. Yeah. You're sure. going forward and doing more of these. What What is the thinking about this? How do you think and, and, and come up with the, the right partnerships yeah, yeah. Uh, and identify who you're going to do this with. We want to work with partners that we love and they love us. So I think that's the most important thing. We're not just going to work with anybody. Um, But all of those partnerships that you mentioned, we knew them as people. We loved what they did. They loved what we did. And I think that's when you get really, really beautiful collaborations versus like, oh, they're just doing whatever together. Is there a process to identify a a certain partner, especially on the sauce side? Yeah. Um, It's not a process. It's kind of like a like a weird kind of starting a friendship and seeing if you like each other and then you're like hey we're gonna hang out for a bit and then you start talking so it's something that takes time sure. so it's not something that happens in a couple of days it's something that we grow the relationship over months and you know and see if it works out and if it doesn't that's fine too we made a friend and we move on but um yeah it takes time so yeah. it's not because i always see people like, oh you could work with anybody and i'm like yeah i could and then we would be lame like, okay we can't can't work with just anybody we okay. gotta stay true to who we are and have it be really interesting okay and we, we have the culinary 
people here that you're partnering, you're co-creating with this year, yeah. which is a really exciting yeah. announcement today. They're such great people. Why is that important too to, to take this? You know, we talk about companies. You've got sauce companies that you're partnering with, but why is it important for you to take this approach and sort of hand the keys off to some, yeah. you know, some chefs? Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of reasons. I mean, we are, we really are always on the chase for new ideas and, you know, we can, we can travel and we can talk to people and we can do all this, but we're always going to be limited. Um, and there's such amazing talent out there. So, um, and we're food people. We want to support emerging, young, amazing talent. Um, and that's really what's been the most exciting part of this. Now, what we're going to do together is going to be great too. We'll see what it's going to be. Um, but it's really a supporting them. And I don't know if you've spent time with them. Uh, yeah, I they're, got them later. They're like amazing people. Um, you know, we had them in. They've been working with the team. Like, they're just... And I think they're going to open the door to just different perspectives, different, you know... I mean, even when I think about Ruben, how he layers things. And, you know, just different things that we might miss. And then in the same time, we're going to support them. Because, you know, it's... It's tough starting. Yeah. Right? Sure. Well, and, and kind of along those lines, obviously you mentioned earlier that you listen to your fans constantly. We know that. The proof is in the pudding. Um, and fan co-creation. You brought back the Mexican pizza, Mexican pizza for a reason. Yeah. Tell me about that and how does that how does that tie sort of in the influencers and how that has impacted. You said you've been with the company for, you know, 20 years now. Yeah. It's different. It's way different. <laughs> yeah. So how do you... How do you approach your strategy considering fan influence, influencers influence, all of that stuff yeah. coming in in a way that hasn't even just five years ago? Right, yeah. No, it's complicated, right? you got to figure out how to do it. I mean, I think we're doing a lot of voting. Um, and, you know, we hear so much of what people want back. So I think that's kind of the beginning steps of that. And I think it'll probably go to really interesting places, right? So I think we'll see where it goes from there. But people are so, I mean, I love it that people want to vote and are passionate about what they want to bring back. I mean, even in my normal life, when I talk to people, like people are like, why don't you, like, I mean, literally, like, I have control of everything. Yeah. I can just, like, yeah. you know, snap my fingers. But they're like, why are you doing this to me? Bring this back. So I think that's the start of it. Um, and then we'll see where it goes. Sure. Yeah. So it's complicated, but the return is, is there. Yeah, I think, the, I think the return is there. And I think, you know, it's, it's all about the relationships with the fans and, um, you know, listening and, because again, the ideas don't just happen easily. Like we got to do a lot of listening, a lot of connecting dots. No one just walks into the room with great ideas. Sure. I mean, that would be great if they did, but yeah. make life a lot easier some days. You're pushing into the beverage space in a way that you've not before. Give me the idea behind that. We see some of your major QSR competitors doing the same thing. We're yeah. seeing a lot of emerging brands growing in earnest in this in this space. Yeah. Obviously, the margins are very attractive, and you're a margin-driven company. Right. Um, what, where, where does Taco Bell fit in here? Yeah, I think we're going to find out, right? Okay. So we're just entering into it. Um, we've done some small tests, um, but I think it is, again, we're going to have to do it the Taco Bell way. So there's going to have to be the unique spin. So you saw with the churro chillers, we're doing, you know, the churros on top and we're doing cold. So again, I think we're going to have to do it in a way that is true to ourselves, true to our fans. And, and they are asking for like afternoon treats and mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a space people want. Yeah. Regardless, right? I mean, I do, yeah. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, there, you know, we talk about doubling the innovation this year from last year based on what David Gibbs said earlier this week. 
obviously that's going to come with some operational complexity. How do you reconcile that in, a, in an environment where simplicity is something we've kind of, the industry has kind of strived towards yeah. since the pandemic yeah. especially? Yeah. Um, listen, I think the idea has to be worth it, right? So we can't be swinging at every idea. we got to swing only at the big ideas and make sure that we are, you know, supporting our team members because, again, they are, you know, they are also our most important customer, making sure that their their life in the restaurants is as easy as possible. Obviously, working in restaurants is, you know, tough work, but making it as easy as possible and taking away any of those roadblocks. So we're not going to work on little things. Sure. So you haven't had any pushback on this you know, our franchisees and our system, they are amazing. If they are big ideas and they are big swings, and every, you know, once everybody's excited about something, even the team members, I mean, it's like the greatest feeling when they're, like Cantina, yeah. they are so excited about it. And yeah, there is complexity that's going to be brought with that, but they are so excited and it's going to be working, okay. right? But we're not going to work on little things that just, you know, are a pain for people and not, and there's no excitement around them. Perfect. I want to talk about... The, the barbell day parts that are that have made a pretty big, sizable comeback since the pandemic that we lost, obviously. Yeah. Uh, breakfast and late night. Yeah. It seems like they're making a comeback, but I want to hear from you on how much of a comeback. Is it full? And then how does this comeback give you license to innovate in those two spaces yeah. specifically? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if it's a full comeback. Okay. Um, I think late night for us has always been strong. Um, so we feel really happy with where we're at at late night. And I think breakfast is coming back slowly. Um, so you'll be seeing, you know, you'll be seeing some things over, over the next year on what we'll be testing on breakfast. Um, but I would say right now our focus really is on Cantina, Cantina, Cantina. I mean, that is our focus and we're super excited about that launch. And, you know, I mean, we've been training the field for weeks now months actually at this point um and we're just so excited for this launch that, that really is our focus is that because chicken is such a strong demand high, high demand or what what's why is this your priority the cantina yeah so it is all around the chicken um i think it's also all around it's a it's a different you have your classic taco bell and then you have cantina it's just a different vibe right it it's great for lunch it's great for every day you've got beautiful produce you've got amazing flavors you have the new salsa um so it's all about that chicken and just that experience i mean when you eat the products they're they're amazing okay and the dessert push here um can't be ignored either yeah. you've got gelato on deck you've got that choco taco which by the way outstanding <laughs> I'm good. supposed to be objective, but I, there's no objectivity there. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's good, it's good, right? <laughs> and, the, and, of course, the shade. So uh, we talked about the breakfast and, and late night. Where does dessert fit in here? Yeah. Is that an add-on uh, for lunch and dinner? Is that the 3 o'clock day part? What are you yeah. answering for? Yeah, no, I think it's an add-on. I think it's a special trip intent. Um, yeah, it's, it's both those things. And I think, you know, the afternoon treat, the late night treat, so I think it's all of that. Does the shake require new equipment? It will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And no pushback there. Again, the idea, like, it's <laughs> super, people are super excited okay. about it. So, yeah, there will be there will be equipment there. And, sure, I mean, we got to sort things out and work things out and do it in the right way. But franchisees are really excited about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. And so I would imagine there's operational training that is happening now with all of this stuff. We are. We've only been in one test. Okay. So we're going to go into a bigger test. And we're going to flush all of that out and make sure that we can 
make it all work and that it's great for team members and all okay. of that. So there's work to be done. Sure. Work to be done. And uh, nothing... What, is the uh, uh, milkshake equipment the only equipment add with all these menu launches? And we're actually going to be using blenders. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So we used in our test, and so we're going to see where we head. I mean, could it be something else as we actually launch nationally? Maybe, but... Okay. And then value, obviously, has become a big yeah. narrative. Absolutely. Um, bitter this year is what the forecasts are calling for. Yeah. How does it it inform what you do? Because some of the stuff that you're adding is super sexy and interesting. And, you know, the the salsa, the milkshakes could arguably be a premium, you know. Yeah. Um, How does that inform your strategy as you're doubling your innovation wheel? Yeah, no. Well, the other half of our strategy is value. And that's why we just launched the new value menu. I mean, pretty amazing items, all for under $3. So value is who we are. Um, people rely on us day in and day out for that value, whether it's their full meal or an add-on. So value is stronger than ever, and it is our core. So, again, there is all this amazing innovation going on, but be sure. And you're hanging on to that load. We will, ne- we will never go slow on value. Okay. Like we are going to be we're going to be people's place where they know they can count on us, and it's actually going to be something interesting as well. Like the chicken enchilada burrito, or yeah. you know, not just your usual like they've smalled down things. Or I mean, it's going to be interesting even on the value space. Okay, very good. Two final questions. Sorry, I'm so because you know it is going to be so no, interesting I'm, on the value, and I'm so excited about it too. Yeah, what's to come? Yeah. What are you most excited about? You're, I mean, you're really pushing the game in a way that I don't know that I've seen in the 12 years I've been covering. So, what are you most excited about this year? And then what's your favorite new item? Yeah. What's your final question? Honestly, after today, I'm really (laughs) excited about Cheez-It because, I mean, we all love the Cheez-It and we know that our test went amazingly well, but to see everybody's faces and the excitement and, oh my God, I'm just like so excited for everyone on Cheez-It. So I think that's going to be great. I can't wait to see the gelato hit the stores. That's going to be so much fun. And then the Cheesy Street Chalupas are going to be off the hook. They're such a great product and that's one of those ones that when we finally got it right in the kitchens, we were like... All right, this is it. Okay. Like, it's a great product. 